So what's going on with you, man? Hey, what's up? You back? You back now? You back? You back in the state? I am. Yeah. I'm back on U.S. <laughs> soil. Back on U.S. soil. As you guys can see, I got like the box in the background, bare room. I know I usually have the stuff in the background stuff, but I'm just now moving in. Um, getting back. Uh, I, I literally just got back a couple of days ago. So um, getting moved in, getting the wife situated, getting the kids situated. Um, it's a lot going on right now. And then we're also doing the teleworking. Kids are, I feel for all the parents out there, um, especially the the dual, dual working or dual military parents out there. Because, you know, if you got a kid that's in virtual school, uh, especially like a, a younger one, one of the parents got to stand by. So it's kind of it's kind of a uh, weird one has to sit there and kind of listen to him on the little video screen. And then, uh, you know, it's just, it, it's just kind of strange. And then on top of that, we're trying to get regular work done as well too. So it's, uh, I don't know what, what's going to happen, but something's got to happen here soon. Uh, I guess maybe the vaccine will help with that. I'm struggles of 2020, man, struggles of 2020, but it's good to have you back, man. Uh, it was a struggle uh, with internet connection and everything, but you made it back. We're good. And um, yeah, man, everything's good on this end. We're up in Charlotte now, Charlotte, North Carolina. So anybody who is ready to start investing here, attending clients and properties, any of that stuff, man, we're out here, we're live. Uh, and it's actually where I met today's guest, O'Shawn McKay, dropping knowledge about self-directed IRAs. Sean McKay with the IRAs. Hey, Ron. <laughs> yeah, uh, he was working on his, uh, where Dan was working on his freestyle game <laughs> during, during the interview. But today we covered a lot of stuff, right? So our guest today not only talks about how he fumbled across uh, real estate when he first started, but then how he got into the self-directed game and actually used that to catapult his investing game. And now he finds creative strategies for investors like you to use self-directed IRAs for syndications, for buy and holds, for fix and flips, for all this creative stuff. I mean, he said the only thing you couldn't buy was like an antique car, essentially. But you can buy everything else, which is super exciting to hear. <laughs> Yo, this episode was mind-blowing. He, he went in depth, just like Mike said, man. So if at any point in time uh, you're, you're thinking how you're going to use your, your investment vehicles to possibly invest into some hard assets, this is the episode you really need to listen to. Hey, how's it going? This is Dan Wynn and Mike Glassby, and this is the Military Cashflow Podcast, where we teach service members how to build wealth and create passive cash flow through real estate. We cover real deals, real numbers, and real lessons learned from other successful investors. Now, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening on the podcast, we need you to like, share, and subscribe. Now, let's get started creating this military cash flow. All right, we got Sean McKay talking about self-directed IRA, right? You saw what I did there, a little rhyme, right? So <laughs> can, you, uh, can you please let us know a little bit about yourself, what you do, where you're from, and uh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Well, Dan, Michael, thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be on your podcast. And as you said, I'm with American IRA, so we are a self-directed IRA and 401k provider. And so I'm sure we'll kind of dig into what that is and, and how that service uh, can help people. Uh, but basically, my background is uh, actually I'm a failed full-time real estate entrepreneur. Uh, after college, I tried to go in uh, just all in on transactional deals with wholesales, flips, and what have you. Uh, this was around 2007-ish, and I'm originally from Florida, so... 
Uh, there were people that did it. There were people that came out the other side. I did not have the skills. I did not have the knowledge or the expertise. So it did not work for me. Uh, so I got the, the lifeline of the century. Um, I actually knew our owner at American IRA as a real estate entrepreneur. And so I'm talking to him about my deals and I'm just basically saying how I'm just falling flat. And he said, well, I have this financial services company. It's around retirement accounts. And as you can imagine, someone in kind of your mid to uh, early 20s, that's not a necessarily a super exciting career path when you're trying to be that entrepreneur. But I realized pretty quickly that was, that was a lifeline. So it's been great. It's given me the opportunity to really learn from a lot of real estate entrepreneurs. A lot of our clients tend to invest in real estate with their IRAs and 401ks. And so ironically, having this day job and being a service provider for other real estate investors has been incredible for me to be able to learn how to be a better real estate entrepreneur. So really since that point, my wife and I, we've been kind of slow and steady in building a rental portfolio. For us, it's been kind of the uh, one to four unit mix. So, you know, every year we're just acquiring a number of properties, slow and steady over the last, uh, you know, 10, 12 years there. And uh, we've been really fortunate. So, we live and work and invest in the Charlotte, North Carolina market, and the headquarters for American IRA is in Asheville, North Carolina. So I tell people I, I kind of get to live the dream. I won the lotto. I got a great day job. I get to learn and grow in my, my real estate uh, knowledge and experiences as well. So I got to ask, I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about self-directed IRAs here, but uh, what got you interested in the beginning in real estate? What was it? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if, if you know anything about the Florida real estate market, it's it's a it's a volatile market. It's an exciting market. It's you know, we consider it kind of a boom bust market. And so growing up, I saw a lot of individuals in my community that would be doing incredibly well. They were building rental portfolios. They had these big construction companies. And so I always thought, I'm not going to be smart enough to be a doctor or an attorney or anything like that. So that entrepreneurial path at least seemed theoretically possible. And so I just always kind of hung on to that. I had a few family members that kind of dabbled a little bit with some rentals. So I got started on some, in retrospect, not incredible deals at the beginning. Just, you know, we we're all kind of figuring it out together. But, uh, but yeah, that was kind of the start of it. Seeing the flashy cars, seeing the big house. And, oh, okay, let, let's try and do that. That, that's, that brings up a great point because that's what attracts a lot of people. They see the flashiness, they yes. see the, the success, but then what they don't realize is that's 30 years in the making, 10 years in the making. And, and you're a great uh, case study, you know, not to point it out that way, yes. but you know, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily work that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I got a, I got a question as well. Um, talking about real estate, right? So I know we're going to talk and get into self-directed IRA, but you mentioned something that I found very interesting. You said, hey, you got into it and you failed uh, failed at it. What was it that um, that you think you did bad on? What's one lesson learned that, from that perspective, at least? Yeah. What's one lesson learned there uh, that maybe looking back at it, you know, maybe you would have done differently? Yeah, that's a great question. I think certainly at the end of the day, I think we all have to have an honest assessment of our strengths and our weaknesses. And I know that especially at that time in life, to be successful in a falling knife scenario. So we're 2007, 2008 in Florida, prices are crashing. 
And what I realized was in retrospect, the people that were able to do well in that were able to quickly pivot and understand, I tried to work short sales, but I wasn't, I wasn't finding that niche. And I think really, I was the type of person that I needed more life experience so that I could add more value to those situations. Some people just kind of naturally have that. I've had to kind of build that through my corporate life to understand how to be a better problem solver. So I think ultimately, again, no excuses. People did well with it. I just didn't have some of those entrepreneurial natural skill sets to help me to kind of evolve and, and kind of read the tea leaves with where the market was going. I love that because it's everything about this. And I preach this all the time, but real estate or anything actually in order for success, it's all about problem solving. It's yeah. all about problem solving. And some people are naturally gifted with it where others, they have to take other, you know, paths in life to actually gain that experience. And, and although you failed, you decided to pursue financial services in a different light, but yet you still invest in the real estate today. So what was that deciding factor, even though you fell flat on your face to say, hey, I'm still going to invest in real estate. You know, I'm gonna have a day job, but do this on the side. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the one of the great things that I've learned from our owner, from some other mentors, uh, Chad Carson, different people in that space is that they they basically explained to me, listen, Sean, you need to play two games. There's the game of putting food on the table for yourself and ultimately for your family. And then there's that long-term wealth. And so really what we recognize was American IRA has been more than the opportunity to just simply put food on the table. But that was that game. That was the paying your bill game for the most part. And then the rental properties was ultimately what we were constructing for that long-term wealth. So that if, you know, God forbid, you know, the owner calls me up one day and says, hey, sorry, you're just not much of an asset for the company we're moving on from you. We have that rental portfolio so that, you know, we can kind of figure things out and still pay our bills from there. Ooh, I love that. I love that. I love that. And that same mindset, right? How you talked about, you know, there's two, two games, right? The, the basically putting food on the table and then also the wealth generation games, same thing with the military, right? You guys know we make a pretty good living, most of us make a pretty good living um, in the military, right? And that's putting food on the table, but you got to take some of that and put it in, in, and work your long-term goal as well. Work that, that uh, wealth building, wealth building goal as well. So that's, that's awesome. I like that you put, put it in that perspective and um, same thing can be applied to the military. Awesome. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. That, hey, that, so, uh, I've never heard of it called that, but go ahead, go ahead. Now I was going to get into the IRA. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. To get, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Let's so, dive into it. So let's start at the beginning, right? Uh, for those of, for those out there that don't know, what is a self-directed IRA? What's what is this all about? Yeah, absolutely. So, really, when we think about retirement accounts, to me, there's kind of three ways to think about retirement accounts. There's the world where you're going to deal with an institution and you're going to have an advisor that makes all the decisions for you. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. But you're choosing a path to be completely passive and completely removed from the decision-making and the thinking behind your finances. So that's kind of path number one with advisors. I have a lot of respect for that world. That's what my dad did for decades and decades. That can be a path that works for people. Path number two is where I call it a semi-self-directed world, 
where you are picking a platform like a Vanguard, a Schwab, one of those companies where you can go online and you can pick the investments for your portfolio. You can pick your own stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. I call it semi-self-directed because even though you're picking the investments, it is self-directed, you're limited to financial products. So then you go to the third world, which is where we are at American IRA, and I'm the first one to say this isn't for everybody. There are some people, they just don't like to deal with finances. They don't want to think about their money. They want a third party handling that. But for those, as you said, whether it's the military community, just an entrepreneurial community, someone that wants to be a little bit more thoughtful and proactive with their financial future, this is an interesting space in this third world because you can still pick your own stocks, bonds, and mutual funds with us, but the real benefit is what we call alternative assets. So I mentioned earlier, a lot of our clients are real estate investors. So real estate is certainly one of the avenues our clients can explore. Basically in a nutshell, with a self-directed account, you can invest in anything that is not collectibles and life insurance policies. So you could invest in privately held companies. You could invest in precious metals like gold and silver. You can invest in different real estate opportunities. I hear some of the craziest stuff you've ever thought of, but they have an expertise or a knowledge or an interest in something. And again, as long as it's not collectibles and life insurance policies, most of the time you can make that investment. Can you, can you explain what a collectible would be? Yeah, sure. So this is really defined by the IRS. So the IRS has a list of, let's say, vehicles, for example. So sometimes old roadsters, like from the 1920s, really cool antique vehicles would be considered a collectible vehicle. There's also certain coins, for example, that are deemed to be collectibles. And really, I think when you boil it down, it's typically assets that are very difficult to put a value on. So, uh, you know, you go into an antique store, someone might think the lamp is worth $10. It could be a very interesting, unique lamp that's actually worth $1,000. Who knows? But I think that's really where it comes down to is the valuation hurdle usually is what's to the IRS says, let's not make that something that retirement accounts own. Okay. And so when we have this, we have this self-directed account here, the individual now has the full control to say, we can either do it in stocks, bonds, or any other financial asset, or these alternative assets to include real estate, private held companies. Now, when they do this, the, this is one of the most like, I guess, misconstrued places. What happens with that money? So we make this nice investment and we're getting this higher return than we ever did in the stock market or wherever else. Where does that money go? Where does that gain go? Absolutely. So that that is the great thing about this is when your retirement account makes that investment, let's say you find the next Google, right? So you're investing, you're one of these initial kind of early investors in that company there's really two forms it could take. You're either an actual equity owner in that company through your retirement account, or you're lending them money. So essentially you're, you're a debt instrument for that company. And so whatever sort of return is made, hopefully if it's the next Google, you're an equity partner, the flow of that, that exit, if you will, let's say you end up selling the shares, they go public down the road and your 10,000 turns into 3 million bucks. Or, you know, obviously that's an extreme, extreme example, but whatever that is, all of that money flows back to your retirement account. Nice. 
Now, is that, does that, so that was equity. It kind of seemed like a, a lot of that's equity. What about cash flow and real estate, for example? Um, if you have rental properties, yeah, obviously the, the, the equity is going to be retained in the, uh, the IRA itself, but can you withdraw uh, the actual cash flow, the rental income without it being a taxable um, event? So that's a, that's a great point. And so with real estate, as you said, or with any asset, the retirement account is a totally separate legal entity than you or your personal LLCs. So if the retirement account is the sole owner of that rental property, then it receives all the benefits of the income or the sale of that property. And then conversely, it pays all of those expenses if you know the roof goes out or the HVAC or something like that. But you can use some creative strategies. So we'll see clients that will say, I want to also have a personal stream of income from that rental. So you can actually partner your personal funds or your personal LLC actually with your retirement account and split the income and expenses in a certain type of ratio. That's what, that's why we have you on the podcast, Sean. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Did y'all hear that? So that's a beautiful thing. So um, for those of you who don't know, and, and we try to we try to educate our audience as much as possible, but that's exactly right. The self-directed account is a self-sustaining entity. That means if you purchase something 100%, all cash flows, all proceeds, all dividends would go right back into that account. But a creative approach would be to partner, have an equity partnership with the entity. Yes, good yes. And here's what I'll tell you. In the self-directed world, you have different companies that focus on different elements. So we have some companies in the industry, they're great with digital assets. We can allow clients to do that. I'm no expert on that. When we get into the real estate asset class, we are the best in the business. We go deeper in terms of strategy. We have a much different understanding of creative techniques. And so, yeah, any, anywhere you guys want to go with that, we can, we can you know, get as, as wild as you want to get with different strategies with rentals, acquisitions, and what have you. I think right, that's so super important to have people on your team who can, who can help you problem solve like that. Yeah. Right, ben, what you got? No, very true. Uh, the, the teamwork makes a dream work, right? Hey, so- <laughs> So I got a couple of questions and this is, these are um, questions I think a lot of people are asking, including, including myself. So TSP, right? In the military, we have, our, most people's go-to is the TSP, right? They have the thrift savings plan. Can I take my TSP and roll that over into a self-directed IRA? Um, and if so, how does that work? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. I was hoping you'd, you'd want to dig into that part of it. So the TSP is, as you're very well aware, it's, it's a great product that the military has put into place as essentially your employer. Mm -hmm. So employer-sponsored plans, 99.9% .9 of the time, and certainly is the case with the military in every case I've ever seen, typically you need to wait until you're no longer active with that quote-unquote company or, you know, active in the military in this case. And so many times what we'll see is as the as an individual goes from being active in the military to some other sort of civilian work or what have you, they can then move over that old TSB or if you have an old 401k or 403b, it, it's usually going to be when you're no longer with that that firm. All right. So after you retire or after you uh, exit the military at any point in time, you can take the the TSP or if you're working on a, at a regular regular company, you can take that 401k and then it can roll over into the self-directed IRA. 
Absolutely. And we do also see some individuals, even while they're active, they, de they decide to actually open a IRA as well. So it's kind of supplementing their TSP. Mm -hmm. So you can also take those steps forward. And one of the cool things we do is we actually don't charge our annual fee until you make your first investment. So if you just simply want to establish a new IRA, like a Roth or a traditional, make your annual contributions. And then over time, either partner those with your personal funds or partner those with the, the TSP when you're able to move that over. There's some ways you can structure that as well. Awesome. I got a question for you. So and I guess it's a two part, but since self-directed is its own thing, typically we are told that with an IRA or with the 401k that's employee sponsored or employer sponsored, there is a, a contribution limit. Does that limit change at all with the self-directed product? Yeah, great point. So the, the rules and regulations for the retirement accounts are identical. So whether your IRA is with Schwab or your advisor or with a group like American IRA, it's the same contribution limit, the same ability to take distributions, ideally in your retirement years. So the functionality of these quote unquote self-directed accounts is identical to any other. And what's the retirement age right now? So at 59 and a half is when you can start to pull monies out without any sort of prepayment penalty of the, the 10%. Um, now, there are also some accounts like Roth IRAs, for example, the money that you actually contribute to the Roth, you can actually always pull out for any period of time for any reason. So kind of that principal contribution can be pulled out. Now, obviously, hopefully you compound that money, but if you get into a pinch, you can pull that out. All right, let's take a quick break. I hope you're enjoying this awesome episode. If this episode has got you pumped up and you're looking for more ways to learn, network, and take action, make sure you go over to www.militarycashflow.com where we're doing our absolute best to provide our military community with tons of value. Here's just a few things you'll find when you go to militarycashflow.com. You'll find our books. You'll find the Military Cashflow Facebook group where we have thousands of new and experienced military investors networking and asking and answering questions. You'll find our military cash flow real estate investing course that teaches you everything you need to know to buy a cash flowing producing asset. We teach you how to find the deal, how to analyze, how to renovate, how to build your team and maintain that property. You'll find our one-on-one -on -one coaching programs. And when you're ready to start taking action and invest, or you're looking just to PCS, we'll even vet and find an investor and military-friendly realtor in your area at zero cost to you. So make sure you head over to www.militarycashflow.com to get access to all these great tools. And lastly, and I would almost say most importantly, make sure you share this information with another military member that might find it valuable. All right, and with that said, let's get back into this episode. That's extremely important to understand because there's so many people who are afraid, you know, they may be actually in a financial distress situation mm -hmm. and they're afraid to pull out their contributions. But Sean just said your contributions, your principle of contributions can be pulled out without penalty. It's the gain that you have to be careful of. Um, now, is the 401k, the solo 401k, is that contribution, what is the, what is the max limit on that one for the annual contribution? 
Yeah, absolutely. So with the Solo K, that's really just very quickly, that's kind of the retirement account for the self-employed individual that does not have any full-time employees. A caveat to that would be if you have a spouse that works in the business or what's considered a quote unquote highly compensated employee, you can actually work with your CPA usually to structure that out properly. Mm -hmm. um, but the solo K basically, we call it kind of the retirement account on steroids. So a huge contribution limit, you're looking at 58K in 20, we're, we're looking at 2021, right? So we're kind of at the end of 2020. So 2021, we're gonna be at 58K or 64.5 if you're 50 years old or over. So 58K if you're under 50, 64.5, 50 and over. And so that's, that's a great tool. Obviously, you can put more money into that account versus a Roth or a traditional where you're relegated to $6,000 contribution or seven if you're 50 and over. Um, it also has some interesting tools to it. So for example, you can borrow from that solo K 50,000 or 50%, whichever is less. So $30,000 account, you could borrow up to $15,000, for example. Now, I'm going to get way too deep into the weeds here, but with a solo 401k, you can actually, with IRAs, you need to be careful if you're going to use leverage. So if you're going to use mortgages with retirement accounts, there's a whole discussion around how you're structuring the deal, what the exit's going to be, because there is a possible for a tax consequence. With a solo 401k, as long as you're using the leverage on the initial acquisition of the property, you negate the actual possible tax consequence. So the solo 401k in a lot of ways has some very unique features to it. And so I'm, that was going to go ahead, Mike, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, the, 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 the solo 401k, I just want to highlight to the audience there um, that that feature where you can borrow 50% or 50,000, whichever is less, is actually very similar to what the thrift savings plan offers us currently. Just understand that the amortization schedule um, is only a five-year period, even though it's a small interest rate. So the monthly payments are absolutely absurd. Um, I just kind of really wanted to highlight that, but that is a very unique thing that if you are interested, if you are self-employed, definitely dig into um, what that solo K uh, can do for you. Go ahead, Yes, Dan. great point on the amortization too, absolutely. Yeah, so that was going to be my next question. You kind of you kind of uh, touched on it there. So let's just give an example, right? I am a I just retired as an E7, right? Just got out of the military. I've been investing in my TSP this entire time. So I got out. I want to roll over my um, my TSP into a self directed 401k. Let's just say I have like fifty thousand dollars, right? Um, and I know with a self directed 401k, I can go and purchase real estate and ex exponentially increase the amount that I have in that fund, right? But the fifty thousand dollars that I have is not going to buy a rental property. Let's say I want to, I want to, you know, kind of help syndicate. You know, I want to, I want to put some of my money um, into a syndication or uh, a down payment on a larger, on a larger deal. Leverage, like you spoke of before. How does that work, and how would, how would that affect? Um, I guess how would that affect depreciation? I kind of, would you mind sure. kind of unwrapping that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, for me, when I think about acquisition strategies, you know, there's certainly the cash scenario, all cash for the asset. As you said, if we don't feel like the 50K gets us into a deal, first we could look at partnering. So either that's with our personal funds, maybe we have a colleague or a fellow investor that we feel comfortable at least doing a joint venture deal with. So the retirement account can participate in that. 
then from a, a leverage standpoint, for me, I look at it and I say, there's the, the world of private lenders. So any individual or just kind of small time lender that's willing to lend to you, it does need to be a non-recourse loan. So essentially you as the account holder cannot personally guarantee the debt that this retirement account is acquiring. So it could be either a private lender. There are a couple of institutions that will give you those non-recourse loans. It's, it's tougher to get, they get to cherry pick. There's very few providers. So I'm gonna tell you on the front end, you're, you're gonna to wanna to probably do some research ahead of time. There's literally two or three nationally that we see closing any, any reasonable percentage of the loans that, that our clients offer to them. Um, and then also I just love that seller financing world. So for those of you that work those off-market deals in North Carolina, for example, I'm not an attorney, all that fun stuff. Um, by definition, if a seller is financing a property, it is a non-recourse debt structure that they're creating with you. So I love to see, I've done some deals. I love when clients utilize their retirement account. They put that 10, 15, $20,000 down payment with that seller. And then that seller is going to carry the financing for them essentially to their retirement account. So you can, you can lever up that way as well. Talking about some creative stuff here now that now, yeah. Mike, Mike is over there, like just, yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling it. I like it's it. It's cold, but I'm getting hot. I love that creative stuff. Yeah. Yo, shout out to uh, the Elite Investor book back there. If you haven't heard of that, because that talks all about different creative strategies. And that was written uh, by your very own Mike Glaspie there, too. So beautiful. Quick. I got to pick that up. You got to yeah. throw a little plug in there every now and then. <laughs> all right. So so we talked about the different uh, products. We talked about a few different creative strategies. Now, if somebody has an account like this, what does the general process look like from you know, informing uh, American IRA that, hey, we're ready to do our, our draw, we're ready to invest in something, identifying the asset. What's the typical sequence that that would go? Yeah, great, great point. And so really, understandably, most investors, they want to find an asset or a potential opportunity before they get the ball rolling with their retirement account. The challenge with that is we're, as you said, involved in the very beginning of the process. So the offer to purchase, or if it's a large commercial deal, the letter of intent to purchase, we're involved from that very first step. So the key is to always just get first year account established. So we have application kits to create either the IRA or the solo K. We then ask to do just simply a, even a partial funding. So it's an active account. So if you wanna put a thousand or $2,000 in there or move over just a small amount from an existing IRA or 401k, so it's an active account. And then once you identify whether it's the single family house, whether it's the syndication deal where you're participating in a 200 unit apartment complex, or, you know, Michael, I know you're, you're involved with hotels, you know, all those sorts of things, you want to make sure everything's lined up so that you can take advantage of the opportunity when it's given to you. Excellent. That, that brings up a really good point because there's, there's so many times that uh, especially newer investors, they'll identify that great deal and then they'll scramble to get all of their other resources put yes. in place. And I always recommend that you get that foundation set first. You find the financing, regardless if it's going to be something self-directed, private money partnership, you know, you have your team in place, your managers, your contractors, whatever it is, and then go out and actually search for those assets so you can move quickly when the opportunity presents itself. Great point. Absolutely. 
and no judgment. I do it myself. It's a lot of shooting yeah. the name. I, I get it. I'm not, I'm just saying, you We've know, especially it. with these retirement accounts, right. you need to really be structured with it. Absolutely. So what's done. about the time period as far as, uh, like we talked about, you know, we want to find the asset. We know the asset that we want. Um, I understand that we typically want to get the finance structured first, but how about how long does that take? Like between me coming to talk to you and saying, Hey, you know, I have this much that I want to roll over into the, uh, into the self-directed IRA. And then, Hey, can, when can I actually purchase? Absolutely. So getting the account set up, step one, very quick, we receive the application kit, assuming it's all filled out correctly within essentially a business day, the account is opened in terms of getting the account funded. That's the big variable because that will be predicated on the current custodian processing that. As a general note, if the client's willing to follow up with institution X as well as we do, that will expedite that process. I would factor in, frankly, a couple of weeks for that current custodian to wire the funds to us, send a check, whatever the case may be. So that's kind of phase one, phase two. You know, phase three, again, it, it's going to vary depending upon the strategy. So if it's a syndication deal, I do a lot of syndication deals in terms of as a American IRA team member. So a lot of those syndicators come to us and they say, hey, we're going to be moving on this, you know, again, hotel, apartment complex, whatever it may be. I like to kind of front load the documentation for that LLC, because really from our perspective, the client is investing in the LLC. So send us the subscription, operating agreements, all that kind of good stuff ahead of time. We'll run that through compliance, get everything buttoned up. And so then when you start rolling the investors in, then we're a little bit cleaner. We have a certain processor designated for that investment that they can move through. If it's our client just kind of working on their one-off rental property, then really we're involved in that offer to purchase. So you send that document to us. We sign that, send that back to you, the realtor, the closing attorney, wherever we are in that process. We're sending the earnest money or due diligence money, if that's there. And really for the closing documents, we're in constant communication with the closing attorney or the title company or depending upon the state that the client's in. But basically we need to have our closing packet at least 48 hours before the day of closing so that we can run that through compliance and make sure that it's, it's nice and buttoned up for the retirement account. Well, it sounds like, I mean, so you, you basically do all the, the heavy lifting, basically. I mean, it sounds like, you know, you are the, literally the intermediate uh, between the person, the, the actual self-directed IRA, and then the person that's, that's closing or whatever the entity is that you're closing on, whether it be syndication or uh, the one off rental property they're talking about. So that's smooth. That's smooth. I like Absolutely. it. Uh, so I got a few, I guess, rapid questions here, uh, but that, the, the IRA itself or whatever that retirement account is, since it's self-directed, does an LLC or another form of entity need to be structured to actually hold it? Yeah, great, great, great question there. And so it does not need to be in place. So what I will tell you is probably 90 plus percent of our clients simply have the retirement account directly own assets. So whether it's the private stock, the real estate deal, the IRA or 401k is going on title as the owner for that asset. Now, as you alluded to, retirement accounts can become members either as the sole member of an LLC or a multi-membered LLC and be structured into a deal through that. As with anything, there's certainly some pros and cons to that, but either structure is available. Okay. And 
for people who are doing things like, uh, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to it, but something where you're doing a sell and you get a large capital gain, it can be something similar to a 1031 exchange, anything like that. Are they able to transfer lump sums over as long as they don't exceed the threshold? Or is there ever any point in time where they can exceed the threshold with a large lump sum? So my question is, was the asset that's being sold, is that owned at that point by the retirement account or by the individual? That's, that's probably where I was trying to point that one there. So let's say it wasn't, let's say, let's go both scenarios. Let's say it wasn't okay. owned by the, uh, by the asset account yet, or I'm sorry, by the mm -hmm. retirement account. And then on, on section B or alternative B, it was. Okay, great. So if the asset is just owned by ourselves, our LLC, something other than the retirement account, then as you mentioned, we're going to be relegated to our contribution limits, depending upon the type of retirement account that we're going to be moving that into. So, um, you know, that that's just, unfortunately, there's no workaround for that part. Now, the nice thing is if it's scenario B, where the retirement account is the owner of that asset and you're exiting and you're getting that that nice chunk of capital on the back end from the sale. So as you mentioned, I love 1031s. They're phenomenal vehicles. As you guys are certainly well aware, 1031s, the only challenge is you have those time periods to be able to move to another asset. The great thing about the retirement account is you could sell that asset the money flows back to your retirement account, tax deferred or tax free. And it might be a year before you find another opportunity. There's no trigger of a very short time frame to be able to be tax efficient with the purchase and sale of assets. So again, 1031s are phenomenal, but this just kind of gives us that extra benefit with being tax efficient. And the way I look at that is um, many people talk about trying to use flips um, and then 1031ing their capital gains. The issue with that becomes the, the typically the profit margins in a flip are not big enough to truly qualify for a 1031. And then when you're looking for that additional asset on the back end, you know, that it's not enough uh, capital to actually buy something of substance. But with an IRA or with a self-directed retirement account, you can do those flips and correct me if I'm wrong, but you can do those flips, protect that capital gain, and then just continue to grow your portfolio from there. Yes, absolutely. And, and, you know, we spoke about possible tax ramifications earlier. Now, the cool thing is, if you're going to have a tax ramification, let's say it's an IRA that's levered up at the time of sale, you can actually use a 1031 inside of an IRA deal to then kind of get the same benefit and make sure that your IRA is not paying taxes for that, that tax consequence on the deal. So, yeah, you can layer it. There's a lot of cool things we can do. Absolutely. Stacking these things. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I got, so you got like in, in. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's yeah. some boxes and boxes and boxes and things. That's so right. The with the self-directed IRA, if there are capital gains, let's say we we do that method, like Mike was talking about, and we decide to flip within the self-directed IRA, those capital gains are those are those taxed at different rates um, because that we said the the self-directed IRA is its own entity. So how how does that you know tax bracket wise? I mean, how, how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. And, and really, you do want to focus on that. If you're going to be using leverage with these retirement accounts, the nice thing is from a rental property standpoint, while it's just an operation, you're going to be able to get a lot of those deductions that we're used to outside of our retirement account with writing off mortgage interest and you know repairs and all that kind of stuff. So that will kind of offset. And usually it's going to be a paper loss while we're just maintaining the asset. But on the sale, that's a very good point. 
it is taxed at the trust tax rate, which the high, uh, the, the, the top echelon there is, I want to say 37, 38%. So it is a real consideration and something we need to kind of plan for, as, a, as I said, especially on the exit of assets to make sure that, you know, you're kind of doing this in the right way. So it's not everything is perfect and, you know, everyone makes a million bucks a year, especially when we're using leverage, we have to be really careful with the way we're structuring those deals. Okay. That's when you want to get that CPA. So if you guys haven't listened to the episode with yes. uh, my buddy, Nick Aola, go ahead and uh, check that out. And we, we talk all about it. So absolutely. Yeah. And also picking the right retirement account, because we find that a lot of CPAs love a SEP IRA, for example, which are great vehicles, but those individuals are also eligible for the solo K and they were going to do a lever deal. And as we know, solo K's are a lot more beneficial for lever deals versus SEP IRAs. So it's really imperative that our CPA is not only aware of kind of our situation, but what is our strategy going to be with this retirement account so they can help us kind of find the best fit there. In a situation like that, uh, is there is that something that you also provide, maybe like consultation between the, the retirement account holder, the CPA and yourself? So what I could tell you is, um, you know, as I told you earlier, I'm not the brightest crayon in the box, right? right. So, so we have to be very careful. First of all, the way that we're licensed, we're not tax legal professionals, right? So ultimately what we try to do is those clients will come to us and they'll say, Hey, I got the SEP, my CPA put me in, but I'm looking at doing the lever deals. So what we try to do is I put out a lot of content about asset classes, about strategies, about the do's and don'ts of these things to try to broadcast as much as possible the things that we need to think about. Because I'm not, I'm not licensed to override your CPA and say that's not proper tax planning. If the CPA wants to bring us into a conversation, I don't want my team involved with that, but I'm happy personally to get on a call and kind of run through some scenarios, always deferring to that CPA because they're more aware of the client's full situation but maybe add a little bit of value from the IRA or 401k end. And, and one, one last question I really had was the conversation or the question always comes up. Can you have more than one retirement account, more than one Roth, more than one traditional SEP and so forth? Yes. And that, that is certainly a big misconception. So you can really have as many Roths, as you said, traditionals, what have you. But really what we have to be careful of is that amongst all of those accounts combined, we have to stay within that contribution limit. So you can have 15 different Roths, but amongst all of those 15, if you're 50 plus years old, you're relegated to 7,000 collectively that you contribute to that. So it wouldn't it really wouldn't be at a, a benefit then to have more? Um, so what if you had one Roth and let's say it was over fifty, so you're seven thousand, but then you also had one solo uh, K, so your contribution limit would be fifty eight thousand or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. You can do it that way, correct? You can. Now, again, there's kind of some nuance in the, the planning in terms of whether that's going to get you further along, because depending upon your income level, you might not be able to get your deductions from that traditional. And so if you're maxing out that solo K, you're probably in a pretty high tax bracket. So it's a great point. You can contribute to both IRAs and 401ks. And then it's just kind of a matter of what's going on with your situation. Yeah. Yeah. Speak, speaking of that, we're talking about different um, 
I guess taking on the withdrawal, how much money you'd have to pay, uh, depending on if you do the, uh, the just the, the SEP. But um, at what point do I need to, uh, let's say I'm talking with my CPA or, or I'm trying to figure out uh, the best way to, um, I guess, minimize my, my tax rate. Do they take just the last year's, like uh, the last year's um, taxable income to, to, to rate you to rate you to i guess to find the rate i know i'm kind of mm -hmm. fumbling around but no no, no i'm with you the yeah. question it's kind of it's kind of yeah yeah so here's what i'll tell you so we're at the time of uh of recording this we're in december 2020 and so this is really the time of the year the last month or so where we're getting a lot of calls into the office even from our current clients and they're saying you know, thankfully, some people are doing actually well in 2020. Their businesses is, you know, doing well, whether they're a mortgage broker or different types of industries. And so they're saying, hey, the IRA I have isn't going to give me enough juice this year for my contributions. And so ultimately, it, it first starts with your tax professional. So you, you're having a conversation with your CPA and you're saying, hey, big year this year, instead of doing 80, I'm doing 180. What can we do to mitigate my taxes? And so then we're probably going to start look, starting to look at some small business plans. So again, the solo K or a SEP IRA, maybe a simple IRA, they all have different purposes, but really they're going to, a lot of those are going to be based on trying to get as, as many deductions so that you lower your tax rate as possible. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I fumbled through the question, but you got it. No, you were there. I, I'm with you, man. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Well, we covered, we have covered a lot in this, uh, in this episode, and I'm sure we've got a ton more questions. Uh, but for the sake of time, because we want to be respectful of your time, we always ask our guests, what is one piece of advice that you can offer to somebody who is just now starting their investment journey? Yeah, that's a great question. And certainly, as we said, I, um, I can talk a lot about what not to do, right? And when you're starting your journey, I think that what I, I um, it's unfortunate to see is the new investor that is hopping from idea to idea on a regular basis. So if nothing else, as a new investor, if we could give thought to our strengths and weaknesses, financially, mentally, what have you, we put that together and we come up with a reasonable idea of, I want to buy a single family rental. I'm going to get into the rental property game. I would say, honestly, try to get blinders on. Don't then start worrying about buying 100 unit apartment complexes or doing spec houses or you know all the different things that you can get involved with in the real estate community. Try to get focused, try to become really competent and then ultimately an expert in what you're doing. And then you know, as the money's there and your expertise is there, then maybe you can start to go in different directions. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's that's we haven't heard that one yet. That I mean, that's but that's extremely sound advice. I mean, we often uh, fall fall victim to that. Like, I'm sure a lot of guys are listening to this podcast. Like today, they listen to it and they're like, "Yeah, I definitely want to go and join your company and, <laughs> and and do the same thing." When just last week we had someone else on, they were talking about I don't know syndication or something. Mm -hmm. Like, ah, I'm gonna be a syndicator today. You know, so yes. that's uh, that's extremely extremely sound advice. Good stuff. Yeah. All right, and. Last question here. Uh, how can our listeners get in contact with you? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, obviously I'm here predominantly as a team member for American IRA. So if you visit our website, AmericanIRA.com, uh, you can find my contact information, my email, the office number to reach me. Um, if you're just a fellow investor and you happen to be in the North Carolina area, or, you know, you just have some common interests of falling flat on your face uh, back in 07, 08, and, you know, you just want to share war stories or whatever it may be. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, those different platforms. So bigger pockets. I'm, I'm always interested in learning from other people and, and sharing ideas and stuff. So I appreciate what you guys are doing in terms of forming this community. And uh, it's really cool to see. So I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on uh, and sharing this knowledge. Uh, I, I'm, I still got plenty more questions, so we might have to bring you on for a round two, potentially. Please. Uh, but this is a super interesting topic that has been, um, I think, underutilized, especially in the younger generation. Obviously, the older generations, they start to have these established retirement accounts and it can become, it can become feasible. But I mean, it it's not too early to start, especially with those creative strategies that you mentioned yes. previously so again thank you very much yes absolutely dan michael thank you so much yeah this is great and uh yeah if, if you can tolerate me for another run <laughs> definitely love to get back with you and uh you know we can talk about your strategies and all the things you guys are doing and you know kind of the pros and cons of maybe self-directed iras being involved in those types of deals so definitely, definitely. we're actually just talking about that before the show so <laughs> awesome <laughs> yeah man hey but um thanks for coming on again um with that said, uh, make sure, well, the links will be below actually. So all, all Sean's links will be right below. So if you, you can click on those, um, you, you'll see his little at symbol there. So make sure you reach out to uh, Sean and get your self-directed IRA on, you know. Um, but with that, this is Dan Wynn. And Mike Glasby. Signing off.